1: me, Ryan Wilson, and this ain't no Will Britson Podcast. It's the Brady Quinn Football Show, and we're going to talk a little NFL mock draft. Brady, how happy are you to see me instead of Will Britson, those hair plugs that he calls real hair?
0: Is that what we're saying? Are we calling those things hair plugs now?
1: Oh, Debo has leaned so far into the hair plug thing that people actually start to believe it, and Britson has to answer Social media uh, questions about where he gets the hair plugs and how they get to look so good.
0: He probably takes it from his facial hair and he just throws it up top. <laughs> that's that's most likely where they they take it from. They it from his, his cheeks and his neck because he's so he's such a hairy human being. Maybe his back too. You know, he's got, seems like the type of guy that has a lot of back hair. Yeah,
1: know? he doesn't. He, he looks like he probably has hair all over the place. As someone who's bald, uh, I'm. That's the only thing I'm jealous about. Will of. All right, enough of that. We're already sidetracked. Brady Quinn football show. I'm so pumped to talk to Brady about uh, draft stuff. Uh, cause I don't get to see Brady a lot this time of year. Uh, first things first, got to plug the L YouTube channel, youtube.com slash pick six, subscribe, hit that like button for a chance to win a Brenton sucks hat of your choice. Uh, Brady yes. Quinn has already made his request, so he will be getting one as well. We have, as I look to my left, there's a, a box full of hats that are going to be sent to Debo and Debo will be, uh, passing them out to lucky winners or unlucky winners as it might be. Uh, in that same vein, if you look up there right above Brady Quinn's head, there's a Pick 6 sale. And if you put your old phone on the old QR code there, uh, save that link because starting Thursday through Monday, there will be 25% off all items at the CBS store, including sweet Pick 6 merch. And, Brady, we all have uh, me, Breach, and all got our Pick 6 sweatshirts. If you had to guess, what sizes do you think the three of us ordered for our Pick 6 sweatshirts, which all fit? perfectly by the way
0: okay um so i'll start off with breach he's got to be the smallest size right so he's five, he's
1: five six he informed us
0: so a small i mean i would think a small probably fits breach he's, he's a slight build he goes to britney spears concerts i would think a small probably fits him right
1: <laughs> okay um, go through all of them i'll tell you
0: okay uh
1: brinson five eight he says i don't know if he's five eight but he says he
0: is i would say a medium and that's only because he's a slightly taller than breach But he also, I think, packs on a little bit more weight. You know, he'd call this time of year bulk season for him, even though it doesn't work out. But that's like what people do to get away with like putting on weight during the holidays. They just go, oh, it's bulk season, bro. I'm just working out. Uh, So he probably wears a medium. Um, Who else we got? I mean, Ryan, I would say, I feel like you're pretty tall. What are you, six foot, six one?
1: Oh, look at the diva! You hear that? Clip that. I'm 5'10, but I'll take it, man.
0: Okay. Six one? What? I I just remember, I haven't seen you in years, I feel like. I'm getting older and shorter.
1: You look well, like a giant also, next to Breach and Brinson. That's the thing. Breach,
0: Brinson, Prisco. Everyone looks like a giant next to <laughs> Prisco. Wears a double XL, by the way. And that's not because of obviously height. That's width. So oh, if, Br- if, if Prisco gets one, it's a double XL. Um, you probably would wear then a five ten. I'm stuck between a medium and a large, but maybe a large because you know it's going to shrink because of the type of material. Um, plus, you're taller. Yeah, you're a little more jack. You probably actually work out, run, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> who else we got
1: and Debo what do you think Debo wears
0: six feet De- I, I, Debo now Debo's taller and I feel like he likes to layer so he doesn't want us too tight so I think a medium for Debo
1: yeah I think easy zero for four Debo is that right <laughs> Zero for four for Brady right there
0: wow <laughs> I, was I like sizing down too much
1: yeah uh no well, it, I it mean, depends. I, don't know how,
0: I don't know how these things fit
1: yeah, Breach, Breach wears a medium. Breach not had mediums. Okay. Brentson gets a large for the reasons you okay. described, bulk season. And so Deemo, everyone's up a
0: size. And
1: Debo, who's six feet and probably weighs, I'm going to guess 155, says he wears a large, which is like something my 14-year-old would do just to, so he could layer. I think Debo okay. probably, a medium probably looks great on Debo. Yeah, a, l- a little a baggy. Large. It's a little baggy. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, right, what size do you wear, Ryan? A medium, a medium.
0: Okay. All right. That's surprising. I would, I would have thought I had everyone kind of handicapped up one. So I tell you what,
1: man, you made my Christmas by saying six feet, six, one, that is a huge win for Wilson. So (laughs) thank you there, man. You're, you're the guy who makes the, uh, does the programs for the college kids. It does their height and weight and they get to the senior bowl and they're three inches shorter than what everyone thought they were. Man, I was
0: having this conversation with Reggie and I, I like tried to go back and look this up, but I couldn't find it online. He said he was listed at USC as 6'3". And I was what? like, what? Now, the he's, thing about uh, Reggie...
1: year before you. I had that draft. I'm going to go look at the draft guy. I have the 06 draft guy. I'll go look it up for draft you.
0: Draft before me, same high school class as me, though. Okay. Um, so so I tried to recruit him to Notre Dame. Obviously, their pitch uh, and and you know briefcases were better than Notre Dame's. But hey, I digress. Um, he looks like he's taller than he is. Cause he's got such long legs. So like you think he's short cause he's like six foot, but like he looks way tall on that. Cause he's got no torso. He's like all legs, which is weird for like a dude who's six foot.
1: Yeah. So, and there, and Debo has it on the screen. If you're watching on YouTube, he's, he's listed at six foot 200 from back at the USC. Correct. I AD think page. they
0: put, he told me they put in like in the program either early on or at some point that he was like six, three, which that's awesome. I mean, back then in college, like you could kind of finagle some of that stuff. Like now it's like straight legit. They have like NFL scouts coming in and, and, and measure you because they don't want to have to, you know, do it again when you get older.
1: No, exactly. That's right. Uh, all right. Let's get into this thing. D, uh, Brady, um, we start with quarterbacks. That seems like what we always do. And you're a quarterback. So that now what better place to start? Um, so every week on Monday, me, you and Danny Cannell talk about my latest mock draft and to your credit, you and Danny haven't really yelled at me like you and Pete used to. So that's, that's progress. I never I yelled.
0: I'm just always trying to get you fired up to, to mix in some more things instead of like one or two changes each week. Like if I were you right now, I'd be doing a lot more trade scenarios because now you can get away with these crazy things and people will look at it. And then once we get the draft time then you get a little more topical stuff you get a little more information there's some medical stuff that starts to float out so you get a better idea of some of these guys that we got projecting the first round who aren't going to be purely because of character stuff or medical stuff which you know we won't find out until February March of um, next year
1: yeah and to your credit you you make you make suggestions and usually i end up doing them uh for us to talk about so maybe i'll do draft uh trades next time why not what do we got to lose i mean the the only issue is that the the draft order gets sort of reset every Sunday night, Monday night, but that's that's not a huge jump there. All right, so the quarterbacks. Uh, in the most recent mock, which we talked about on, on Monday's HQ, and we'll ta- start again here, I had the Texans at number four taking Matt Corral at, at 18. I had the Steelers. On your suggestion, Brady taking Kenny Pickett, and then at 27, the Lions and Carson Strong. Um, so, Debo put this in the rundown, and it's a good question because this is sort of how I do the math when trying to most uh, positions, but especially quarterbacks. If you're comparing... Matt Corral to last year's first round picks the five guys that yeah. went in the first round last year. Where does he, where does he come in?
0: So I gotta be honest with you. I hate um, having this discussion and here's why.
1: Great question. Because,
0: Kibo. Well, no, 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 <laughs> Look, I'm not the type of guy that like goes and has a ranking system uh, for the quarterbacks. So, you know, typically how it works is right. A team's going to have their rate rating system based on whatever criteria, they'll have a, have a weighted average on the things they prioritize and they'll come out with a grade and that grade will determine whether or not that player is a first round pick, second round pick, or, and, but also they can compare it back to previous years. right? Like that's not necessarily what the business I'm in mean, and doing it in part because it doesn't matter only because like the Texans, if you look at their situation, what their team needs are, the type of offense that they run, it's very different than, for example, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you know, when you're, when you're looking at who they're prioritizing as a quarterback, it's probably not so much dependent upon, well, what's their ranking, right? Maybe with the exception of, like, Trevor Lawrence, where no matter who is number one, you take Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be a good system fit. Um, but in this year's draft, it's much more dependent upon, like, the eye of the beholder, which team says, like, I really like that guy. Like, you've got Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, Carson Strong in the first round, as you said, no Malik Willis, uh, no Sam Howell. Now, I haven't broken down enough of Malik Willis this year from the little bit that I've seen. I think you see the upside. You see the strong arm. You see his athleticism. But you also see the inconsistency. You see the inaccuracy at times. Those are things that I think would concern m- most teams because you don't usually get more accurate when you go into the NFL. You know, you can <laughs> if, if you're like Josh Allen. And rarely when you go back and watch the tape, you go, okay, it's not so much a product of like ball placement things like that. It's the fact they don't have a number one wide receiver who could separate who can get open who can do the things he needs then he explodes like last year this year not as good but still so that's kind of how i look at it i would say if i was looking at matt corral compared to last year's class he'd probably i'd put him ahead of zach wilson um i'd put him ahead of i'm trying to think i probably trey lance yeah so i probably would have had him fourth in that they're all
1: similar-ish type players, maybe more Corral and Trey Lance than, than Zach Wilson, right. but the, those is the skill set you're looking at?
0: Yeah, and, and, and I would probably put Kenny Pickett ahead of Matt Corral. Like, I like Kenny Pickett the best of everyone in class. He, I've said this a thousand times to you. He reminds me a lot of Ben Roethlisberger coming out of Miami, Ohio, and from what I remember from Ben early in his career. He's not as big as he is, but when you look at the way he's able to maneuver and create plays, take chunks downfield, he's athletic enough to do some things – it's just it's a natural fit for me to kind of compare him to Ben. So uh, I like him the best. I think Corral's the second best. I like Sam Howell, too. Like, I think the heart he's shown this year, the way he's played, I know some people feel like he took a step back or he didn't, you know, meet expectations, but he had a really uphill battle considering what they lost last year and when he came back. I mean, he's one of the better running quarterbacks, too, in this class. And and I don't know, you know, it's not like a speed dynamic thing. It's just like more of a – a willingness to to scramble or to take off from time to time to go get those tough yards.
1: Let me ask you this about Sam Howell in particular, because um I, I just haven't seen it. He doesn't do it for me. That doesn't mean he's not going to be good. And that's another thing you have to guard against because you don't like someone in college it doesn't mean they're not going to be a good player. So that's, you have to keep that in the back of your mind, but I've talked to teams that feel sort of the same way I do. And it starts with this question, Brady, you would know better than me by a mile. His footwork sucks. Like his footwork has gotten better since last year. Is that a yeah. function of just being one read? I got to get out. I got to run for my life. Is that a, a bigger issue? And is that something that you can fix quote unquote uh, over the next two or three years? If you get to the NFL, <clears throat>
0: It's definitely something you can fix. I think full work is the the probably single most thing you can fix with a quarterback going from college to the NFL or at any point in time in his career. Um, that's the one thing you can drill into you. Whether it's the way you drop, handle the pocket, all those things. I mean, there's enough drill work and things you can do to get that in. The upper body mechanics. You know, if you've got a hitch in your throw, like Sam Hartman, for example, from Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. When I watch him, it seems like there's a little bit of a hitch in there those are a lot harder to get out at this point in time. I mean, I was in Denver with Tim Tebow. They could, no matter who, try to work with them. Josh McDaniels, Ben McDaniels, John Elway, it didn't matter. He wasn't going to be able to get it out of his system at that point. He even went to Tom House, and they couldn't get it out, you know, Hmm. back when I believe he finished in Philly in the preseason. So it's just you've already had so many reps. When the live bullets come, it's hard to get rid of that. Um, So I I think the footwork thing doesn't bother me as much. And I'll be honest with you, I think all these guys lack – proper footwork at times they're all in the shotgun it's it's hard to demonstrate proper footwork when you're playing in shotgun so i don't really even use that as a knock i think the one thing you look for is kind of that like base and how they go to throw you know are they able to establish that base efficiently and quickly to get a throw off um one guy who's a young guy that does this but he obviously has some footwork things he could work on is caleb williams at oklahoma Like he's one of the more fascinating quarterbacks to watch because when he drops back, man, he kind of sits back there and he's like a really good athlete. But man, watch his base. Like he gets those feet dug in and he could just whip that thing when he goes to throw. So he's going to be an interesting prospect when you know his time comes here in a couple of years. But the base is the more bigger thing and how they get to that base from their drops is what matters to me.
1: Okay, no, that's great, and that's that's good to hear. You mentioned Malik Willis. I wanted to go back to him for a second too, because I watched him over the summer, and honestly, he looked like a day three pick to me—a guy with huge upside. You talk about the arm strength, the athleticism. He can run. He's a much better runner, probably than any other quarterback in this draft class, maybe except Matt Corral. Um, I saw—I went—I saw him playing personally at Syracuse, which has a pretty good defense, and he was good, not great. And one of the things when I talk about these quarterbacks as first-round picks, top 10, top 15 guys, you, you want them to be able to elevate the players around them. And in, in large part, he's he's doing that uh, at Liberty. But that Ole Miss game gave me a lot of concerns because, you know, it's you're playing against SEC dudes. It's not It's not the Georgia defense, but this is an SEC defense. And you were completely and wholly outmatched in much the same way that Jordan Love felt against that LSU team a few years ago. And I came away thinking, okay, this guy's, He's not a first-round pick right now. Maybe if something happens, maybe he can grow into that. But I'm not trying to convince myself that he's a first-round pick. Where do you come down on uh, projected ability based on athleticism and all this other stuff and and where the kid actually
0: is? So I love that you asked this question because I think it goes back to that initial conversation of comparing a quarterback this year to last year's draft class. It really comes down to that team. If that team's going to take him and put him in right away, then they're setting him up to fail. Right. Like he's not that player, like very similar to kind of Trey Lance who looked great at a lower level, but hadn't really played in about two years besides one exhibition game. And, you know, now gets thrust into the number three overall pick for the 49ers. There's no way in hell he was going to be ready to play by that point. You know, so I I think that's what I see with him is if a team's taking him, they have a plan for him and they're probably sitting him behind a veteran and letting him grow and learn while they hone in on some of those raw skills and let him get comfortable with the offense what he's seeing out there you know you use the example of jordan love i'll use the example of zach wilson you know after seeing a cupcake schedule that he played his final year at byu the one toughest game they played was arguably coastal carolina and that's not even a power five team but that was a team that was pretty blitz pressure heavy was an athletic team and he struggled Struggled. you know that was probably his worst game of the season uh yep. in his last year at byu so that's another example of like when you're a lower level team and you play one of those big boys up in the power five and you see them struggle, it's like, well, that's kind of what you're going to get then because he's not ready for that yet. Um, and, and I think that's where he fits in at least for me. And so I'm not saying he couldn't go in the first round because he's got those ability. Like he's got the arm, he's got the athleticism. Uh, he's got those sorts of things. So it really comes down to the team that's looking at him and saying like, what's our plan for him and how much do we love who Malik Willis is as a player, leader, person, all that. Cause that's going to play a big role in it too.
1: No, that's a good point, especially – we don't talk about this enough, but I bring it up every time we talk about it. It fits so incredibly important. So if you're talking about him going to the Saints, for example, and you let him sit for a year behind whoever the quarterback is next year, that makes a lot more sense than putting him on the Lions team where he's probably going to have very little chance for success anytime in the next few years. Um, We talked about your guy Kenny Pickett. We'll we'll talk about Carson Strong as well uh, before we take a break here. I I said on HQ yesterday, and I don't, this ain't going to change. I don't think there are some NFL teams legitimately concerned about that knee, which is too bad. That knee injury goes back to high school. I think he had a cleanup procedure before the start of the season. Uh, They week one, they beat Cal in in a game in which he played really well. And um, the issue is when you watch him play and Danny Connell talked about this in HQ as well. He's not mobile. He's actually relatively athletic when he's healthy, but he's not, he's a pocket passer and and that's just reality of it. I don't know if that's injury or otherwise, but he also throws a lot with his upper body because I don't think he has the strength in his knee to be able to push off consistently. And you know, if it ain't going to get better, it ain't going to get better. So where do you come down on Carson strong as a NFL prospect, regardless of the knee? And then how does that weigh into how you might move forward if you're a GM?
0: Well, I mean, I would say, it's hard coming into the nfl right now not being a quarterback who's got some sort of or you know mobility or ability to create or something right you know all the quarterbacks we've discussed so far have that in this draft class when talking about corral willis Kenny Pickett, even sam Howell, uh strong doesn't have that he's not that bad of an athlete right i think it's always relative terms you know relative to what we're talking about compared to other guys i mean not like a civilian you know he's clearly more <laughs> accurate i mean we saw tom brady on monday night football at 42 years old kind of hurdle a guy and then slide for a first down uh, so, like, don't get it twisted. You know, Tom would probably beat you playing one-on-one. Uh, so Carson Strong's a better athlete than we give him credit. But for the standards of what you need to have at the NFL level, that's the concern is, you know, if you went to the team like the Lions, now their offensive line is atrocious, but it's probably in the bottom half of the league. That's going to be a problem, and especially when you've got a wide receiver core or guys to throw to that outside of TJ Hogginson and maybe Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, there's not too many guys who are going to be able to separate. Maybe Swift, too, if you find them – in a matchup out of the backfield. So that's a problem. Um, and, and, and that's where I kind of look at it and say, you know, he might end up being a second-round pick purely because of that lack of mobility and probably the medical mm-hmm. as well on the knee. But when you turn it on, man, he makes probably some of the best throws a next to at least pick it from what I've seen this year as far as just downfield accuracy, putting it in tight spots, NFL-caliber throws, throwing outside the numbers, which you're going to be asked to do at that level.
1: Yeah, I love Carson Strong over the summer, and I was hoping that his need, and hope, maybe maybe something will happen will be better. But, yeah, I, I I had very few complaints with how he played coming into this season, and it's just a matter of, you know, you're not going to make a huge investment in a guy if you don't know if you can count on him. But, I, I mean, Kyle Trask with the bottom of the second round, he's better than Kyle Trask, and I don't even think it's close. It's just a matter of the health. Uh, in terms of you mentioned him second round, third round, wherever he ends up, we'll find out. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about some more prospects that Brady Quinn loves as we are almost at the end of here this college football season. Visit
0: roberthalf.com today. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus.
1: Yes! All right. Back. Pick six podcast. Now, Will Brinson, win for everybody. Happy early Thanksgiving present to us all. (laughs) All right, Brady, some of your favorite prospects in this 2022 class. Let's start with the wide receiver. And it feels like there's been, uh, over the last two or three years, just the wide receiver and probably based on high school offenses and that bleeding into these college offenses, the wide receivers have taken off in terms of guys who are just game changers. Uh, Who are some guys that that you like? Um, And, uh, you know, tell me about a few of those guys.
0: Well, I gave you a ton to pick from. Uh, I think the first thing I just say is this it's a grassroots deal where you know you're seeing kids at younger ages and especially when you look at how many three wide receiver four wide receiver even five wide receiver sets at times teams will utilize, um, there's just more opportunity. there's more opportunity to get paid, more t- opportunity to get the football more opportunity for all of that uh, and especially as much as you know teams are throwing the football. So I think at a younger age now and especially with the seven on seven leagues flat football leagues, you're seeing players who don't want to play running back quite as much, don't want to play maybe even defense as much. They want to hone in on those hand-eye coordination skills and play wide receiver. And that's starting to trickle up now where you're seeing more and more developed, talented guys. I mean, take the Big Big Ten, for example. Uh, David Bell, who just came out, he's a Blutnikoff finalist, Go um, to go along with Jahan Dotson, somehow who wasn't, by the way. Mm. Um, but like those two guys in particular have been absolutely clutch the entire year for Purdue. And for Penn State, I mean, Dotson's smaller in size, but electric, it's hard to get a hand on him. Uh, He can help out in the return game, too. So he's a special cat. He should be somewhere in the four fours. You know, I don't know how much lower than that. David Bell, probably same thing. Uh, Probably the greatest crime I've seen so far this year in college football (laughs) is none of the Ohio State wide receivers were finalists for the Blitnikoff, which you probably could make a case all three should have been up for it. Um, Now, Garrett Wilson, to me, is the most dynamic of that group when looking at the way they utilize him on jet sweeps, uh, downfield passes, and just the ability to take a short pass turning into something. And Olave is that like precise route runner, sure-handed, uh, just past David Boston for most career-receiving touchdowns at Ohio State. He hasn't dropped a, a reception in the, in the red zone his entire career. So he's kind of clutch in that sense. His footwork is impeccable. Uh, Jackson Smith is, and, and Jigba is the other wide receiver, but he's not draft eligible yet. Um, you know, Jaden Reed at, at Michigan State, he's been clutch for them this year, kind of Peyton Thor's go-to guy. Chris Hobman, Bell of Minnesota. He's got more size, more downfield ability. Maybe not the variety of routes that you want to run, but I mean, that's just been the Big Ten. You might as well throw Jamison Williams in there at Bama because he came from Ohio State. He, he was supposed to be a part of that mix, uh, but chose to go to Alabama where he now is also a Blitnikoff finalist. So, I mean, you can go through this list of wide receivers. And to me, I think what it's going to come down to is Jamison Williams Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, those three are probably fighting for that top spot. It might come down to 40 time and how teams prioritize that, or it might just come down to what they're looking for in a wide receiver. But um, those guys, it's tough to kind of pick one ahead of the other. Um, you know, Drake Lennon's coming off of, what uh, was an ACL, I believe he ended up having? Ankle. I think it's ankle. Or ankle. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Mike Evans. I mean, that was a yeah. pass happy offense, the way they try to get him the football. Um, there's a special player, a tough player. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see how he runs. Cause I think he could end up being like a four five Oh, you know, four low four five guy, That's at nice. least just from watching him on tape. Uh, but he's, a, he's a heck of a player. Uh, Jordan Addison, Belenikoff files, the pit has a ton of production, ton of yards. Another guy who I think when you look at, uh, his ability to run routes and be able to separate and get open, he's been a big piece of the success for Kenny Pickett. Uh, and probably one of my favorite kind of gadget guys and not a first round guy by any means, but Somewhere in the middle rounds uh, is Wandale Robinson. Originally started at Nebraska, now at Kentucky. The variety of ways in which they use him uh, almost reminds me a little bit of like Ray-Ray McLeod out of Clemson. Yeah, uh, He just could do a bunch of different things, and he'll continually you know, stay on rosters, have an opportunity to play a long time in the NFL because of that speed, twitchiness, and versatility. So that's just some of the few, but like it, it, I would be loving it, you know, being a quarterback in the league where you know you could find a first round, it's probably even the sixth round of wide receivers who are come, going to come in and maybe help you out in some capacity.
1: Well, that's the thing. I'm looking at last year's draft class. They had 35 receivers go in the draft. And, and that's bonkers. And you talk about uh, guys that may not be first-rounders. Josh Palmer's a third-rounder. Um, had struggled at Tennessee because he had no one to throw the ball. Turns out when Justin um, Herbert's throwing the ball, he's actually pretty good. Um, and to Prisco's credit, that was one of his guys. I wasn't sure about you. Mitch Namara, St. V- Brown, Bayless v-
0: Jones falls into that category, right? Hendon Hooker, who's taken over now at Tennessee, has done a good job. Like, Bayless yeah. Jones is one of those guys that, like, keep your eye on him. Former USC kid goes to Tennessee. You see some of that flash and ability. Like, when, when I was watching Palmer last year, you'd see Jones flash a little bit too. And you're like, all right, this kid can do some things too. So there, there's, I'm telling you, it is a, As deep of a draft, it's probably the best position of any position in the draft is that wide receiver spot. I don't know if we'll get like seven drafted in the first round, but you could make a case based on the grades uh, for those wide receivers. At least in my opinion, there's probably seven worthy, maybe even eight of being first round grades.
1: So my latest mock draft, I have six. And here's the other thing, and and you know this, Brady. I mean, people get mad at me if I don't have all their favorite players in the the first round. But if you're drafting 35 wide receivers out of the 250-something draft picks, you don't have to take one in the first round. So I had uh, Garrett Wilson's my wide receiver one as we sit here. Then I had Jameson Williams go in the middle of the first round to to your Browns. I think that makes some sense, um, if everyone can say healthy. Drake London, who I love. Traylon Burks, who went off against Alabama, and he was playing injured and he feels like a boomer bust guy, but he's been booming a lot. I- I'll give him credit. Yeah. Like, I don't – it's, again, it's so hard to sort of project. I mean, we talk about the draft class, uh, not this like past years, but the year before that. Justin Jefferson was the fifth wide receiver taken, and, you know, we missed <clears throat> one Debo because the pick before, like the Vikings were cheering because the Eagles took Jalen Rager. I mean, they could have right. had J.J. along with Devontae.
0: Which, again, you know, from watching Rager and then watching Jefferson, like, clearly you saw the ability of both. Um, obviously, the Jefferson – you know, pick ends up being able to prove out, but like Rager was the type of guy that had a lead track speed. Yep. He was a returner, big playability during his time at TCU, just never had a, a Joe Burrow, at quarterback. So, um, you know, and, and not saying that Jalen hurts isn't Joe Burrow, but he, you know, he doesn't have that sort of ability. So he hasn't developed into that. Um, but no, they're, they're, to your point, I mean, Burks is the type of player that I love the fact that he's really the only guy they have in the passing game that they rely on consistently. He still separates. He still gets open. He's tough as far as getting yards after contact, or after the catch. Um, I'm curious to see what his forty time will be, but he, he was, was running away from guys. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is when you watch him on tape, you're like, all right, well, he's they're not catching him. And no. he's, I mean, and he's getting separation. But you know, again, we'll see once they get to the combine, they start stacking him up. There's few guys who have, at least based on tape, that combination of of size, speed, and and what he's able to showcase in some of the highlights.
1: Yeah, no, he, he's he been fun. And that Arkansas team has actually been sort of fun to watch too. Uh, so, yeah, I have six guys going. Uh, a position I don't have going, and you mentioned this running back who I actually like a lot, uh, Isaiah Spiller. Yeah. Um, you know, he's playing on Texas a Texas m team that obviously doesn't have Kellen Mond, but, hey, man, they beat Alabama, and they're finding ways to win football games. Their defense is really good. They have some guys on offense, including uh, Weidermeyer, the tight end, including Kenyon Green, uh, the offensive lineman who can play guard or tackle. Aniah
0: yeah. Smith, he kind of pitches in a little bit too in the you know in the receiving game.
1: Yep, and they have uh, the other running back who runs like a 4-1, it feels like. Devon tournament. A-Chain. Yeah. yeah, good Lord. He was fun to watch in that L.A.M. game as well. Uh, what do you think about Isaiah Spiller in terms of translatability, uh, those skills that we see now on Sundays?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's the most complete back, I think, when you're looking at this class and, and his entire skill set. I mean, they they basically play with either a new starter in Haynes King or then Zach Calzada, who was just awful when he first took over, <laughs> and they've continued to play better since. But, no, I mean, in all seriousness, they've been loading the box to stop him. And yep. they've had a hard time of stopping the combination of Spiller or a chain for that matter. So credit, obviously, the NM offensive line. But it's also been getting, you know, tough yards, yards after contact and making guys miss. Um, and so you see that, obviously, the running ability. I think also the thing that kind of uh, makes me have a lot of optimism for what he could be is he's capable in the passing game. You know, whether it's a screen yep. or check down, things like that. He's capable catcher. He's, he's fine in pass, pro, pass protection. So he really is that complete back. Um, you know, it, Depending on what he runs as a forty, maybe he's somewhere in the background for a team that's looking for that and prioritizes him, where that position really needs it. But you know, look, we know how this works. It's the draft. It's hard for teams to want to invest that significant, uh, you know, a five, four year with a fifth year option deal into a running back at this point. So uh, it, it's it's really has nothing to do with his ability. It just has to do with the league and where this league's going. It being more of a passing league. But he to me is the top of the list. He's the one that I've really enjoyed watching when you turn on the tape. And how he's been able to carry the football. I mean, Kenneth Walker obviously is the other one who's draft eligible makes a lot of sense there. They don't utilize him quite as much in the passing game. Um, you'll see it if screens check down those sorts of things as well. Uh, but he's the type of back too. curious to see his 40 time. Cause he seems quicker than fast, uh, but yards after contact, man, he's uh, he's been basically, if you want to call that yak, right. He's been like the, the yak leader uh, this year. When you look at how many yards he's been able to gain after initially getting hit. So, He's another one that I think you know. He's, he's a Heisman was in the Heisman race for a reason because uh, he's really carried that offense this season.
1: Yeah, Wake Forest transfer, which sort of curious. You have to leave Wake Forest. Who, they run that sort of weird slow mesh offense? It's,
0: you know, it's yeah, it, it's I like to call it a slow RPO. I don't know how yeah. they phrase it, but it's definitely not conducive for anyone involved, you know, to what you're going to be asked to do at the next level. Uh, you know, and then it was like, and they have some a couple solid running backs there too. It's not like those guys aren't capable. He probably just didn't have to share carries he found himself somewhere with Mel Tucker where he's going to be the highlighted player. And, you know, now you see, now you see why, I mean, he's been able to show up on some big stages.
1: Yeah, that's right. And sort of talking about the, we had this conversation all the time, first round, second round, Situation for running backs. I mean, don't forget, uh, John, Jonathan Taylor was the 41st player taken. He might be the best player in the NFL right now, yeah. as we yeah. sit here. And there were a run of running backs two years ago in the draft in second round. DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor went off the board. Cam Akers, who's injured. J.K. Dobbins, who's also injured. A.J. Dillon, who was drafted in central wide receiver in Green Bay, but who's playing well now. Uh, so that seems to be the sweet spot when you get these, these running backs. Last year, Javante cool. Williams
0: went in the second round. <clears throat> the last thing I'll say, too, is just when you look at the size of Spiller at 6'1", 215 pounds, if you went right now and looked at the leading rushers in the NFL and you looked at their size, like height, weight, and all that, they tend to be bigger guys. They tend to be around more of, like, Isaiah Spiller's size. Um, you need that sort of extra padding, extra du- durability, and all that. You know, Devon H. and the player we had talked about for m um, you know, not draft eligible at this point, but he's 5'9", 185. Right. So he's explosive. He's able to get it done at the college level. They play less games, maybe less wear and tear, you know, sharing carries. But at the NFL level, he's not going to be able to be like a bell cow. Um, Spiller can be more or something closer to a three-down back or that bell cow, given his skill set, but also given his size and just ability to be able to handle that that amount of carries.
1: Yeah, also in that vein, Brees Hall, Iowa State, six one two twenty, And then Brian Robinson, who's going to get drafted at Alabama, 6'1",
0: like he, yeah, so that Yeah, I don't think of B. John Robinson's other running back that I thought if a good year may have came out from Texas, but now it's looking like... Well, actually, I don't even know if he's technically eligible yet. I think he uh, might he still may, have one more
1: year. He may have one more year.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, running backs are important. We, we're finding that out. They're just almost certainly not going to go, not go in round one. I mean, Najee Harris is definitely a round one pick, and I joke about this every week. Brady, the lifespan in his career is about a year and a half because there's no offensive line, and he, get, he gets hit behind the line of scrimmage every time. He's dragging guys two or three yards, and that is not a, a recipe for a sustained career. All right, what else we got here? Let's see. Uh, Ooh, tight ends. So I love this guy. Um, we don't hear a lot about him because you know, people typically don't stay up to 1030 in the East coast to watch Nevada football games, but Cole Turner right. is the is tight end for, um, for Carson strong. And Romeo dubs is the wide receiver who plays there as well. I think Cole Turner's had a better season than Romeo dubs. You like Cole Turner.
0: I, I do. As far as kind of that pass catching, um, you know, tight end to six foot six, 240 pounds, you know, he can split out. He can do a lot of things. He's got great body control for that, like that catch radius and that size, um, you know, a guy has gone over you know 650 yards receiving this year so far, but that's the guy who kind of pops. And, you know, it's funny you're watching Carson Strong on tape, and you're like, "Hey, who's this? Uh, who's this number 19 with the long hair? You know, long flowing locks out there making these plays?" And you're like, "Oh, it's, it's it's their tight end, Cole Turner." So a lot of times that's how you kind of come on to like some of these players. But you know, he's not a first round guy. Obviously, I don't know that we have any tight ends that are going to be going in the first round. Um, but he is a guy who I, I think you look at and say. He could be kind of that that third round, fourth round guy that's gonna go in and have an immediate impact and surprise a lot of people with his skill set and ability. And then the other tight end that I love, absolutely love, is Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. Um, at six foot six, two sixty. He has all the ability to be a traditional wide tight end position, meaning run blocking at the point of attack. You can run to his side. He's not, you know, it's not on the backside for like a backside cutoff, right? Where you try to hide the guy who can't really block or isn't willing to block. Um, but he's also got that, you know, for that size, you look. They'll put him out wide, and he'll run some double moves. He runs some routes like he's a wide receiver. He'll go up high point the football. Well, he, he's kind of got it all. It's just he's not going to be the type of guy that separates. Um, he's not blessed with like a ton of speed like that. But again, you're talking a six foot six, 260 pound dude who can move some people off the ball. So, Cole is another guy that, again, not a first round pick, but I love watching him on tape. Uh, I think he's a reliable target for uh, Brock Purdy this year, and. You know, when they have to go to him, they try to go to him. I mean, hell, it basically was the last final drive that Iowa State had this past week. It was Charlie Kohler, Charlie Kohler, Charlie Kohler until they finally decided to double team him, which, again, you, I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, you're probably questioning why it took them so long in that drive, let them drive down the field. But uh, he's another guy to keep an eye on.
1: You know what? You bring may, up you may a good point. And I think sometimes we fall in love like, with, like, the Evan Ingram type uh, tight ends and sometimes they don't work out either lack of toughness or whatever. And that's not a reflection of Evan Ingram, just typically speaking in, in generalities, how important, I mean, do you, if you run a four, seven, five, which I think is what TJ Hawkinson ran, I don't think that's an issue as a tight end, especially, and you, you sort of uh, fill in the details from here. This is just me trying to put the pieces together. If you're facing zone defenses in the middle of the field, cover two or whatever, you can find the holes in the zone and just sit down in those zones, whether you run a four, two or a four, eight. And if you're a big fat target, it's a lot easier to hit that target with people say eight to 10 yards on either side of you. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think when you've got a traditional wide tight end, you know, that guy, a lot more oftentimes is going to be impactful in your play action pass because you know, you're a lot of what you're doing is going to mimic. So it's gonna be a hard matchup for those linebackers and tight ends because their eye or, and safeties, because their eyes are going to be looking for a run. And then you've got this tight end who's kind of slips by them. So it's a little easier schematically. And I think even formationally at times, when you've got a capable blocker at the tight end spot to be able to formulate some things to get them some open space, get him some free space. And then you talk about the size advantage. I mean, you're not gonna find too many tight ends, they're gonna be blessed with that combination of size and speed. It's just it's just a rarity. And so when you do, sure. But if you're gonna put that guy outside as a wide receiver and he what runs a four-five, all right, that's great. He's got a size advantage and he's pretty fast, but you're getting wide receivers now, you know, by the boatload that run a four, 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 three. That can go out and create separation and be even a little bit faster and get that job done. So, I just I don't I don't know that I see it as quite as much as an advantage as I used to. Like we're going to talk about a cornerback that's in this year's draft. It's one of my favorite cornerbacks. He's six foot three, two hundred pounds. I mean, now how what what beats that cornerback? It's not a six foot five, six foot six, two hundred forty pound fast guy at tight end out there. It's a guy who's like a four three speed guy. Because Jahan that cornerback, yeah, Jahan Dotson, for example, who's a probably 44 four four, four three guy, uh, when it's all said and done, he's smaller in size, but good luck trying to get a hand on him. I mean, no different than Tyree Kill. Now, I don't think he's Tyree Kill speed, but he'll be fast. So I just think when you look at offenses and like what they're ultimately really looking for, as much as everyone's looking for like that guy that you know you can you can put out there and he can be a mismatch because he's faster than a linebacker, but he's got that size on a, on a cornerback. They're just really rare, and I think sometimes you overlook that traditional tight end who can do so many things for you, and and as you said, be better in zone coverage, uh, or still be able to beat that linebacker in man to man, or or sometimes safety depending on who that is.
1: Right. Yeah, and I, I think we, we fall in love with speed, and I get all that, and it is it's exciting when you see it, but it doesn't always translate. It feels like from college to the NFL. All right, let's move to the offensive line. And one of your favorite guys is one of my favorite guys and Tyler Linderbaum. And I bring this up every time we talk about centers. Since twenty ten, only three uh centers have gone um no higher than eighteenth. Ryan Kelly, uh Princess Guy, Sky, Garrett Bradbury, and Marquise Pouncey. They all went eighteenth. None higher than that. And you could argue that uh, Marquise Pouncey is perhaps should have gone higher, whatever, based on his career. Tyler Lindenbaum, to me, feels like a top 10 pick. And, and before you talk about him and the and the other offensive linemen you love in this class, how is this for a quick fix for the Giants who just fired, it looks like, uh, Jason Garrett? So they have the fifth pick and the seventh pick. Let's say at number five, Icky Iquonu is there, the, the tackle from NC State, who can play tackle. He's incredibly athletic. I think he was on your buddy Bruce Feldman's freak list to start the year, rightly so. And then at seven... They circle back and take Tyler Linderbaum. Boom, offensive line fixed. What do you think of that?
0: I don't hate it. I think the problem is, is who's making the picks, right? Is it David Gellner or is he fired too? Because isn't <laughs> he the mean. one who brought in Nate Solder and Will Hernandez in the second round and all these yeah. players that hadn't really been what they thought? I mean, the initial reviews of Andrew Thomas were bad, but I think he's rounding form into what they were hoping he'd be, uh, even catching touchdown passes of late. Yeah, amazing. Um, I, don't, I don't hate it. I mean, look, I think the one of the reasons why the position is not uh, prioritized is because there's enough players in the interior now on the offensive line that they feel like can slide down and play that position because you're not snapping. You know, it's very seldom now. You're shotgun snapping more than anything else, and they feel like it's a little easier to kind of throw the ball back there and then and and punch than to have to secure it when you're snapping back there and punch, right? Like there's a little bit more to that, I think, and more stress to that. So um, there might be a, a little bit of thought there with that. Uh, and, and just the fact that, again, more inside guards, they feel like, oh, if he snapped four, cool, okay, he can do it. Um, they're just not going to prioritize as much. Lindenbaum would be the exception. I just think no matter where you want to put him, he's going to be one of your better interior offensive linemen. He's athletic. He can move. He's smart. Um, you know, tech, Technique-wise, he's you know, pretty much flawless. Um, wrestler. And, and so I, Yeah, he's a former wrestler, so he understands leverage uh, you know, as, as far as pad level and all that. I just don't really see many flaws in his game. And you know, I think when you look at what their offense does traditionally and what they pump out, he'll be prepared to start day one at center for whatever team would draft him. So don't hate that idea if you're trying to rebuild that offensive line. I just – I don't know who's the one who's who's drafting him <laughs> if, if David Gettleman's still there. And obviously Jason Garrett's not the one calling plays for him anymore.
1: Right. No, that's right. Uh, also, fun fact, Tyler Linderbaum beat Tristan Wirfs in I think a state wrestling yeah. uh, match. And I think maybe – Wurfs came back and won. I think they're one and one, but the fact that he beat them, they're obviously a few years apart, um, you know, cause Tristan Wurfs is one of the best athletes in the NFL and he's an offensive tackle who can jump out of a pool, which is again, can you jump out of a pool? Brady?
0: I've never tried to, I usually am <laughs> jumping in. It's a little easier that way.
1: Yeah. I bet Debo could jump
0: out of a pool. I feel like he can.
1: Uh, all right, let's talk about one of these other offensive linemen. You can, you can take your pick out of the the list. You have your Darren Kennard, who's a grown man. Thayer Mumford. You mentioned kicked inside. Uh, and then Jason Kirkland, who's played well this year against some pretty good competition.
0: Yeah, I mean, Mumford's the one that's interesting to me because I think if you looked at him, like he was obviously a guy going to get drafted um, and probably more as a tackle. But, you know, he may have helped himself, I think, sliding down and playing inside this year. Some of that may have been a byproduct of them just wanting to get their best five out there on the field because um, I still think he looks like a tackle playing guard. But he's shown the versatility this year. Uh, I think there's some teams that may look him as that now that they've watched him on film, because even for his size, and he's pretty massive, uh, he can move well enough uh, to to you know basically go in there and play guard. So he's a guy who I think has helped himself a lot this year. You know, um, won't necessarily be tested quite as much this week versus Michigan. It, the edges are tested a lot more with Ojabo and Hutchinson, but mm. uh, still the different things they do, um, they'll, they'll be tested to a degree. I think it's really the Big Ten championship game um, to see if he gets any movement in particular up front. On that Wisconsin uh, defensive line—that's the group that I mean. You look at them; they're the number one rush defense in the country. They don't let anyone get any movement. It's a stalemate at best uh, for most offensive lines, and they create a lot of five-on-fives, a lot of one-on-ones up front, and they use a lot of different games and stunts. So uh, that game, I, I think, will tell us a lot about you know where he's at as far as an interior offensive lineman player, uh, or if, you know maybe a team looks at him and says, "Oh well, let's, let's kick him back out of the tackle." But He's a guy that's caught my eye this year. And I think just, you know, again, it's hard to find big, massive human beings that can move the way he can.
1: Yeah, we talk about quarterbacks getting overdrafted. Offensive linemen get overdrafted too because obviously you need them. So whenever I'm going through this whole process, and this will be my fourth draft, if I feel like a guy's going to go to the third round, He typically ends up going a half round, a round higher because you just need these guys. And, you know, it's a crapshoot, just like every other position. You hope your coaching can get the best out of these kids. You hope they grow into the roles and get stronger and so on and so forth. And and Mumford, I think you're right, probably did himself some favors in terms of uh, his NFL future by kicking inside. He can play guard. There's the versatility if you need him in a pinch, swing tackle type situation. So you mentioned Ohio State-Michigan. That's going to be a fun game this weekend. And I know you might be the only person that loves Michigan's defense more than I do it starts with the front four. Who, who are your two, your two dudes up there that you like?
0: Yeah, David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, <laughs> you you obviously have been doing this, paying attention to this. I mean, did you have either of those guys being first-round picks at the beginning of the year? Maybe Hutchinson, but he was coming off an injury, so who really knew? He
1: didn't play well in 2019 when he was getting topped up and last year was a COVID year. I, I didn't love him, and this year he has done a
0: 180. No, 100%. So I, I think those guys have probably done as much for themselves and their draft stock than any player in any position anywhere. Um, because now you've got, you know, people looking them seriously and like trying to make the case, all right. Is it Hutchinson? Is it Jabo? Like, we, is one complimenting the other? I mean, look, they're both just damn good. Um, Hutchinson's that type of guy we've talked before. I think I compared him to, to Jared Allen yep. just from his size frame and motor. He's just, I mean, never takes a playoff, ne- never takes a playoff that, that I, I love watching that dude because the effort he gives, it doesn't matter if it's a run away, pass, whatever. Uh, and who's on him. He's fighting every snap, man, every snap. Oh, Jabo. Ojabo's sneaky bendy, too. Like, he's the type of guy, because he's twitchy, and, but you, and you don't always see guys who are really twitchy like that who can bend, but he's slick. And, and I, <laughs> I think one of the more – I was actually watching today versus Penn State, and he ended up um, – literally, it was so quick because he had a nice jump off the line, and it was just like kind of like a little quick dip. And then he just almost, like, poked his hand out the ball and literally knocked it out of Clifford's hands as he was starting to bring it up. For, like, a sack fumble. And I was just, I'm watching going, dang. I mean, everything about that was impressive as far as like what he showcases. So he's another guy that I, I just think if you look at him. I wouldn't be shocked if you went in the first round. I think the only reservations you have with him are a little bit raw, first year breaking out, those sorts of things. But, you know, to me, both those players um, have done more than probably anyone else at any position to improve their draft stock. Maybe outside of Kenny Pickett, because I, I guess now that I think about it, <laughs> he, he's the one that, well, I mean, no one noticed a first round pick coming into no, the
1: year. Nobody. That's and right. I have
0: watched him for years, and I, I kept trying to tell other people, I said, hey, there's something about this kid. There's something about this kid. I'm telling you, there's something about him. He's and a then gamer. Finally, he took off, man. No, he finally took off.
1: Yeah, Ojabo reminds me, uh, not quite the athlete, but in terms of the flying under the radar as we get to this sort of point in the draft process of uh, Odafe Owe. Uh, okay. who,
0: yeah, that's fair.
1: No sacks last I, year. And I remember like I, I would do radio hits every week and people would laugh at me. Like, you're gonna have us, our our team taking a guy who wasn't draft, who hasn't had any sacks. And I remember talking to scouts going, Don't worry about that. Like this kid right. doesn't even know how good he is. He still thinks I had a scout tell me he still thinks he's 6'1", 215 and playing like basketball. He doesn't know how that he's six three or 6'4", 250, and as explosive as he is. Nojabo, to your point, is raw. He's a junior. He has 10 sacks. And um, some of that touches him. Whoa.
0: Kind of like Frank Clark, too. Like, that's who Ajabo kind of reminds me of as oh, far yeah. as how he moves. Um, and obviously, both have to be Michigan guys, but Frank Clark's the guy I kind of look at him like, all right, he didn't run a great 40 time. Um, and just kind of watched him as he got drafted, he ended up being a second round pick, but yeah, obviously, he was able to make that, that big time money, <laughs> you know, like yep. well, yeah, once he got into the league. But uh, I, I see some of those similarities too with Ajabo I think what Frank Clark's uh, game looks like and, and i'm trying to look up their size wise i mean i think a job was maybe a little taller and longer
1: uh, I think than car he's like
0: six, six three
1: yes job is about six five two fifty five ish i think is what he's listed at so if brady quinn's doing the the measurements he's probably six feet five five eleven <laughs> <laughs> uh all right let's move on here oh by the way quickly uh justin ross is number 12 their uh inside line off ball linebacker that guy is good daxon hill the safety has first yeah. round talent that a is a really guys. good defense
0: yeah, well, for sure. Well, let me just say this, too, about the edge guys. Uh, Jermaine Johnson at Florida State.
1: Oh, yeah. we're That get dude to him, but... the
0: ACC. In, okay. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I was, was going to go to here. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, I was just say, like, that's another guy that, you know, again, helped this draft stop big time, left Georgia, goes to Florida State, immediate starter from game one this year versus Notre Dame. He popped. And then you see him really the rest of the year. Now he leads the ACC in sacks. He's a guy that could potentially be back in the first round, depending on how teams are looking at him. But uh, Tr- Trayvon Walker, the um, I don't know if you want to call him an edge player. He's getting he's almost so big and then freaky athletic.
1: 275 ish.
0: Yeah, I mean he, he might end up move, like moving down inside as like a three tech. But especially on passing situations, when you're going to get that you know that faster group in there. But I, I kind of sit there and I just go, all right, like you know this. I'm telling you, Walker may end up being a first round pick. I think he will go higher than people realize.
1: Yeah, I mean that defense is, is bonkers. I was talking about the Michigan defense. Like the Georgia defense is legit, uh, feels like we say it all the time. I'm sort of joking. NFL defense. So I just sent you a note, Brady. We were talking about Jermaine Johnson. I sent it to Debo, but we can't show it for YouTube rights purposes. It's uh Jermaine Johnson against Miami, where he yeah. spun the, Zion
0: Nelson. Yeah. Spun
1: the right tackle. I don't know if that's Zion. don't don't give don't put that on Zion Nelson. I think Zion Nelson's number sixty. He spun the right tackle like a
0: top. I can't tell based on this it's small on my screen.
1: And it is like I don't. I've never seen anything like this. He is so strong and so quick off the ball that the the right tackle gets his arm in the wrong position and he turns him around and corkscrews him into the ground and, and strip sack fumble. Uh, great play by Jermaine Johnson, as you mentioned, and, and much like the and maybe the James Williams situation, you just leave Georgia to have a chance to play, and then it turns out you're you're a guy that that's really it really, was really Jared
0: good. Williams. By the way, is actually sixty two and uh yeah he's a houston transfer but yeah he just did quick work on him and that was it i've
1: never i've never seen that before so that that gets your attention i i don't have him as a first round pick yet i like what i saw i mean he looks the part he and a lot of times when you watch these guys and they're hyped up and you watch them and you go okay well he's not doing anything he disappears for for a series or two and then he'll flash and then we talked about guys like hutchinson who are just their motors at 10 the whole time like uh, hutchinson's where you want to be and then people tend to fall somewhere below that. Jermaine Johnson has a pretty good motor. He gets after he's strong. He's not getting like stymied a lot of the line of scrimmage. And he sort of um, impacts plays. And that's what you want to see in trying to figure out, you know, what this may look like in two or three or four years. Uh, all right. Two more guys here uh, before we get to the, or one more guy. Then we we'll get to the secondary. And I love this guy too. Devin Lloyd undersized linebacker, but I mean, who cares? These are off-ball linebackers who come into the league, weighing between 220 and 235. It feels like.
0: Remember Jordan Brooks from yeah. Texas tech. That's who he reminds me of. And maybe it's just similar colors. Um, but I think when you look at both their games, they do everything. You know, and I think Lloyd might be a little bit smaller than him, but they do everything. He's good against the run. He's good pressuring, I think, in particular. He's matched up on backs getting by. But he's good dropping into pass coverage, um, you know, impacting play, trying to get his hands on the football. So very productive player. Um, that's who, like, my comp would be for him. I think he's one of the most complete players in this year's draft. When you look at the, the tape, at least – the hard thing is just he plays for a team that plays late at night. Not a lot of people see him, so I'm sure the scouts and everyone's doing their you know their best to watch him. But outside of playing an inside linebacker and and you know being at that position where he's not like Micah Parsons, he's not going to move on the edge and be able to rush like Parsons has been. So that's the promise. He's going to end up being a guy that ends up going second, third round. Um, not you know I don't think in the end of the you know back into the first like Jordan Brooks did, but Maybe. he's he's a heck of a player.
1: He's my number two linebacker right now behind N'Kobe Dean. And Nicobe Dean is incredible. He's just so much fun. Uh Christian Harris again. We sort of talked about this in recent mock draft shows. This linebacker situation in Alabama, they always come in overhyped and they they I don't want to say underdeliver, but he hasn't quite lived up to the hype yet. Hopefully, you know, he turns things around. Whatever goes in the first round, if that's his fate, but it just hasn't been there. Mac Wilson a few years ago, day three pick for the Browns, and then uh, I Dylan feel like Os- their
0: interior players, like they miss Christian Barmore a lot, he has been Ooh. great for New England this year. Absolutely, that's one of the things that has stood out to me. Is as much as we want to like compliment Will Anderson, uh, Junior, and how he pops on film, you know, you don't quite see that from the interior players there at Bama.
1: That's right. Fildarian uh, Mathis is a guy that I know teams like, but he's, he's a day three guy probably. But he's a great locker room guy. He's not Christian Barmore. He's not Quentin Williams. Uh, but that, that's a good point. All right, we got to get to your guy here, Kyle Hamilton. What? Tell me one bad thing about Kyle Hamilton, just one thing that, that troubles you.
0: Um, I, I don't <laughs> know that he's done growing. Like, <laughs> that's so not bad. So he walked into the room. He walked into the room when we were uh, there before the Notre Dame-Wisconsin game. And I was just like, what like they make people who who like are as tall and as long as you like i think he's listed at what six four yeah 220 ish he looked, he looked like he was 6'6 230 and i was like gosh he's a baby like he still can fill into it like he he kind of, i mean I, and i saw isaiah simmons in person and he was obviously had a little more weight or beef on him right but i was looking at him thinking ah. The only concern I have is is like, is someone going to mess this up and try (laughs) to fit him into a box and make him play one position and not utilize him in this guy who could play the deep middle, who can match up man to man versus, you know, those tight ends um, who can, I mean, he could go outside and you can disguise your coverage and let him play cornerback and let him have the deep third or, or, you know, however, whatever you want to do with him, He could do everything. You put him in the box. He'll tackle. His ball skills are unbelievable. And it's just a knack for the game. Like, that's the only thing is he's kind of one of those guys that's so big, so athletic, and so good that you know does someone mess up just trying to fit him into a box and just instead of trying to like orchestrate their defense around him? Like, I know it feels, sounds funny to say, but like I remember talking to Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator out for the Arizona Cardinals before one of the games I was calling when Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons was a, a rookie. And, and he was like, well, you know, you'll see him more in base, but then we won't put him in there in nickel because he's still trying to learn the defense. And I'm just like, no. Like, come on, dude. Like, I understand, like, there's different principles and you have base principles and everything as far as how are you going to play as a linebacker uh, when you're in a base scheme versus a nickel scheme. But he's the type of guy that's like, dude, he's going to be on the field. He should be on the field for every snap. He's too right. good. He's too athletic, all stuff. And I think early on, like, you saw him get beat. I want to say it was – um Raheem Mostert beat him on like a Texas route versus the 49ers in his rookie year. And everyone's like, Oh, he's not ready. You know, he wasn't re- like, no, it's just, he's young. He's inexperienced. He's still, yep. you know, getting this down. But like, that's an example of like a player that I gotta be honest with you. I don't know that they're utilizing him even as good as he can be right, um, right now because of what their system is. So I, that's my only concern for Kyle Hamilton is, is does a coach mess it up? At the so I don't even know he's that good?
1: what the comp is. I, I'm trying to think like, Maybe Minka, like Minka
0: type player. He's way bigger than Minka.
1: Yeah, but I'm trying to think in terms of responsibilities. I mean, Minka's asked to do a lot in Pittsburgh, which is deep safety guy who can sort of move all over the place. Uh, but you're right. I think overthinking it because you have this special sort of chess piece and then you end up asking him to do too much where it should be pretty straightforward. Can you take? Can you play free safety as a rookie in the NFL with all the responsibilities to come with it, I guess is the question?
0: Yeah, I think so. He's going to be smart enough to get him lined up, so that shouldn't be an issue. Um, okay. But like I said, I mean, so Isaiah Simmons is six foot. What two thirty eight, two forty? Six foot four, two thirty eight, two forty. Yeah, no, that's not right. Like Hamilton can't be that far off from that. I'm no. telling you right now. And and he again, he's a baby. Like we're talking about a guy who's what twenty one years old.
1: I think he's twenty. He's, a,
0: he's twenty. There you go. Like he's only going to put on more weight, more muscle. So it, he might find himself end up playing linebacker, like that kind of um, you know hinge player that that's that's you know over the slot, but kind of plays in the box and all that. And yeah. then you can utilize them from there either to match up or he can drop back and do some different things with them, especially in your nickel dime packages. So, um, that's, that's the only thing that I think is going to end up happening is just cause he's, he's so big and he's still so athletic for his size.
1: Yeah. I mean that, that gets you juiced up if you're picking a top five, top seven and you need someone cause I mean, th- those guys don't come around They come around every 20 years. All right. We'll end on this guy, Brady. And you mentioned him earlier. Sauce Gardner, Mike Gardner out of Cincinnati. Uh, that's a really good team, too, by the way. Uh, obviously, you watch Desmond Ritter in the offense, and they're top five now, I think, and they're making their case to to be considered uh, a legit program, and they, they probably should be considered that, but you know, I don't make the rules. But what do you think of Sauce Gardner, and opposite, opposite him is Kobe Bryant, another kid who's probably going to get trapped as well, playing cornerback?
0: Um, I, I mean, I'll just say this. I, I look at him, and he is – my favorite cornerback to watch in this draft class you know stingley when he was playing this year i don't think he's he had the year that you know people were hoping he'd have now yep. prior to this year i think you'd say he's probably one of the best cornerbacks but uh ahmad gardner or sauce as they call him um he's six foot three 200 pounds he can play physical at the line of scrimmage he can still recover and and be able to make up ground he's got great ball skills I, I just – I don't even see teams really testing them quite as much. Now, Houston might try to in the AAC championship game, but uh, I don't think they play East Carolina this week. I don't think that's going to be much of a challenge for them. But um, I, I just kind of look at it and say, like, if I'm looking for a first-round cornerback, a guy that I feel like I can put out on an island, um, he, he's got the demeanor, he's got everything to it. And, and you can maybe question, like, well, you know, he's playing a group of five schedule, a team, and all that stuff. Okay, but, you know, there's still some good wide receivers – on their schedule that they face, um, you know whether it's it's their Notre Dame game, whether you're talking about some of the Cats at Houston, SMU, for example. Um, there's still a number of, of, of good, talented wide receivers he's going up against. So I don't think the transition will be very hard for him, given his size and skill set.
1: No, and that's a good point, because e- unlike even skill position players, where, where you can't really tell, um, if you watch a cornerback in terms of his movement and his ability to stay in phase and, and, and mirror and all of the stuff that the scouts use, if he can do it, he can do it. Uh, if he can't, he can't. If he's stiff-hipped and he has trouble getting out of his breaks and stuff, then that, he's going to be exposed whether he's playing SEC guys or playing, you know, uh, D two guys. So I, I think that's an important point. And when you watch my Gardner play, he doesn't play like he's 6'3", 200 in terms of his movement. He plays like he's a much smaller, much quicker guy. And, and I think that. Yeah, he doesn't played, so look what. that
0: big on tape, which is right. odd. Like he, he he doesn't look like a guy that's that, that like quite that big. So.
1: All right, that's it, Brady. We went through your list of guys. We talked about the mock draft, the quarterbacks a little bit. Uh, finally, a Brady Quinn football show that uh, brought some substance to the YouTube. I, I'm, to... I'm shocked
0: Debo didn't try to chime in and get us talking about Chris Farley at some point. So.
1: <laughs> oh, is that is that Debo's move? Chris Farley or is that a Britson move?
0: I mean, he came up with a trivia like the following week after it, it came up haphazardly in conversation. The Wait, next he... thing I know, I'm supposed to I'm supposed to like figure out like. Like dating back to his time on Saturday Night Live and all these, I was like, dude, I, I just like his movies. I, I wasn't like, I don't stalk the guy.
1: Deebo, D- are you a huge Chris Farley guy? No, Brady on one show, you know, made some sort of statement that he was a big, maybe uh, the biggest Chris Farley fan. Uh, so then I, I spun it into did some trivia.
0: Yeah, like I stalked the guy. I was like, no, I really love his movies. I'd watch Tommy Boy and Black Sheep and Beverly Hills Ninja on like repeat. You know, dirty work. I think he played a low key gray role in there. He was right, um, right.
1: Uh, real, I'll tell t- what year do you think he debuted on SNL? Oh, well, he's older than me because he died in '97, I think. So he probably debuted SNL. I was out of, ooh. So it may have been like '90, I'm going to say '93, '94. Earlier, '91. Okay. So I was trying to do the math whether he was on there when I was in college. Um, and don't forget, Brady, he played the bus driver in Billy Madison.
0: That's right. He yeah. did. He that did. is
1: one fine piece of, you know what? <laughs> uh, you can't say that anymore, Tito. You can't Four say seven. anything anymore. So. No, you can't say anything anymore, uh, including time limits. Brady, it was good to see you. Great to hang Great out, to talk draft you. stuff. Why are you I'll, wearing
0: a Syracuse sweatshirt? What's up with that?
1: I'm representing the Q's, man. All right, I mean,
0: that's fine. I mean, By I the way, quick story, Brady.
1: My uh, my son's 14 years old, and he's like into soccer now. And this is I don't even think I don't know if you had this when you were coming up, but he had maybe you did because you were you were uh, you know big time. Be an athlete by the time it's all said and done, but like he has his own like uh speed agility coach now, which is a thing because yeah, everyone has it. That's him. right.
0: That's so right. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a twenty three year old kid who played cornerback at Syracuse who's still trying to get an opportunity. I think in an injury history or something. So, you know, I wear this support my guy Antoine Cordy. That's why I wear
0: it. There you go. That's awesome. No, did everyone needs a, a speed agility coach guy. Yeah. Did you Mike have one Durant. of those? Mike Durant. Yeah. Mike Durant was like my strength coach. You know, speed agility all that kind of stuff. So, so like
1: two thousand three, two thousand four, like in high school or before.
0: No, before that in high school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was more like 8th grade into my freshman oh, year. Oh, okay. All right. Was when I just, we started to kind of to like get into like training hard like that. So.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't know that was a, I didn't know when that became a thing, quote unquote. So, it, Oh, in
0: Columbus? I mean, look up Westside Barbell, man. Like the strength training industry, <laughs> the Arnold Expo comes there every year. That's it's a it's a big thing there. It's it's huge, oh. like culture of Columbus, yeah. Rogue uh, Fitness is there. Yeah.
1: All right, so there you go. All right, Debo, yep. get on that. Get yourself a speed agility coach and you can uh, we'll talk about that next time. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining everyone. Uh, what's tomorrow? The pick show is tomorrow, I believe Debo, is that right? Uh, yeah, we'll have Thanksgiving picks in the feed and then week 12 picks coming up later. Nice. And then we'll be back. Uh, Brady, you won't be there cause you'll be enjoying yourself, but we uh, will have a post Thanksgiving podcast with me, Princeton and Breach. Uh, until then, thank you everybody. Peace out.
0: The chilling new original docu-series
1: on Paramount plus.